Well, we're starting a new series of messages uh, today, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, some of them are going to be a, a, maybe a little different, and today might qualify as being a little bit different. Um, but we're going to talk about Christmas traditions throughout the month, and we're going to get started with a tradition that all of us probably have in some form or another. We may not all do the same thing, but we all have similar traditions in this vein. Uh, and and it's, it, you're going to have to stick with me a little bit here as we start out. Now, the title of my message, did anybody see what the title of my message was or hear what the title of it was? What is it? Christmas Traditions is a series, Figgy Pudding is the Sermon. Thank you, Laura. You win the gold star today. Um, figgy pudding. What is figgy pudding? Okay. Now, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll help. You. It's English. I'm gonna help you. That, that explains a lot. Uh, it, it does. I, you know, Vince. Uh, Vince. If you uh, haven't met Vince, you need to meet Vince. He's uh, he's really a lot of fun and very interesting, and he's a good friend of mine. But Vince is. Uh, he's British. And, um, and he would understand figgy pudding differently than we would because, you know, that's, it's an English dish. And so, um, and I know when you hear me talk about figgy pudding, I know what the next words out of your mouth are going to be. We won't leave until we get some. Really, nobody, nobody was with me on that. You didn't, you didn't even, you didn't even see that coming, did you? Oh my goodness. Um, but figgy pudding is also known as plum pudding, which I think is a much more attractive name. Um, or Christmas pudding, which I, I get that. that. That sounds really good. But it started uh, in the 14th century as porridge. Porridge. I think of Goldilocks and the Three Bears when I think of porridge. You know, some of it was too hot, some of it was too cold, and some of it was just right. But it started as porridge in the 14th century, but it went through a ground meat phase. Totally would have lost me there. I would have not been on board with ground meat, you know, in my oatmeal, because um, that's what it, what really, what it feels like. Um, but, but it's something, it's really labor intensive. Now, some of us, okay, I'll, I'll admit, okay, as a, as a guy, I don't understand sometimes the preparation that can go into a Christmas gathering or a particular dish. Um, I've, I, you know, at Thanksgiving, um, I, you know, in our family Thanksgiving, I'm the, I'm the guy that does the turkey. Um, uh, two years ago, my sister-in-law got sick, and I, we're on the way down for Thanksgiving, right? And it's, it's Wednesday still, but we're driving down to Appleton, and my phone is blowing up. And I mean, I got, I got siblings calling me, you know, hey, listen, we need you to get down here because she's sick, and you're going to have to cook the whole Thanksgiving. You know, my sister-in-law is sick, so I had to cook everything. I, tur- I literally, I hung up the phone, I turned to my wife, and I said, don't leave me. Do not leave me in my hour of need. You, ca- you have got to, to help me through this because... I'm the oldest. If I can't solve this, it's like de facto I would lose my position as the oldest, you know, in the family. And uh, so we, we pulled it off together. But, but 
figgy pudding is very labor intensive and, and some of us wouldn't, wouldn't um, want to put that much effort into it, but it really starts the day before. And I guess traditionally, it's something that people make like at the beginning of December because um, it, it, there, it lasts a long time. It's not something that goes bad right away. And so they make it early in the month, but, but the, the, the day before, you're doing a lot of preparation work, and then you have to leave it overnight, and then the next day, you have to steam it for eight hours. And I, I, my brain is not comprehending what that really looks like, but it needs to be steamed for a long time. Some of the ingredients are breadcrumbs, flour, hold on, suet. Suet. I'm thinking of going to my bird feeder and unwrapping a a package of suet, and I can't think of, yeah, you know, I'm not going to take a bite of of the suet. That would kind of, so I'm, it's kind of scary. Sugar, eggs, lemon zest, spices, dried fruits, and raisins, which that's the figgy, you know, part of it. Um, But then finally, the final ingredient which now I totally understand why the English like it so much, brandy. <laughs> so <laughs> it just sort of makes sense when you, you know, when you finally get to the end of the recipe. Ah, yes, I know why uh, some people uh, like this. Um, but I want to talk this morning for a little bit about, about food. Um, and um, after the first service, they hated me. Um, because I talked about food so much, and they were starving by the time they got out. Let me assure you, it's only going to get worse, but that's all right. Um, but the idea um, at Christmas time, we we are really connect. Now we have an argument in my family, and and I lose this argument all the time, mainly because my firstborn falls on the opposite side of the argument as I do, but the argument is between his mother and, and, my, and, and me, okay? And I, I say that, that Thanksgiving is turkey and Christmas is turkey. And she says, I'll give you the turkey at Thanksgiving, but at Christmas we're having a ham, okay? And I am a turkey all the time, you know, kind of person. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we have these meals that, that we have. And they're, I mean, it's one of two or three times a year where people take pictures of the table. You know, it's special. And we have this in our minds. And in fact, I think that's a big part of, of, of this because we remember when. We remember and, and meals are places where memories have been created. I remember um, somebody in, in my family that was extremely uh, spiritually significant, probably the person that, um, if I had to say, I, I can look back and, and trace my own my own spiritual journey, I would say she's got to be the most significant. It was my grandmother because she was the one that got saved first in in our family. And then as a result of that, um, other people in the family began to come to know Christ. And so my grandma is someone that... um, that was, I mean, she was old school. 
when I was little, you know, she wasn't really old when I was really young, but she seemed old to me from, from day one. You know, she just, she was old school, right? And, and I can remember as a kid, my dad worked nights at General Motors, and, and he would get home about 11 or 11.30, and they would get us out of bed. We were real young, and this was before car seats. This was before seat belts, um, and they would actually put, I, I, don't, I, I don't remember what it was even made out of, but it, was, it sat on top of the seat, and it stretched across where your feet go, so it was all like one level, and basically it was a bed. We, we slept on it as we drove to grandma's house. And I don't remember, in all of my memories, I cannot remember once my parents getting me out of the car and going into my grandparents' house. I only remember going to sleep in the car, and I remember getting up, waking up at my grandmother's house. And, you know, every, my dad was used to sleeping in, and, you know, you're up late that night before, and so everybody's sleeping in, and I would wake up to this smell, okay, this smell coming from the kitchen, and it was a smell that made me get out of bed because I was hungry, and it was oatmeal. It doesn't sound exciting, but I had oatmeal this morning, you know, and my grandmother made oatmeal that I just can't explain. And she didn't put, she didn't put cranberries in it. She didn't put walnuts in it or anything like that. But it was, it, it was just, it, it was like this perfect oatmeal. And the way I eat my oatmeal today still is reflected in how it was when I was a child. Um, there were so many things that, that just really st stuck out in my mind about things that my grandmother made. I can, I can remember the, the jars of canning that she would do from their, their garden, and it was a, a big garden. And, and I can remember the, the different things that I ate. My, my sister, or excuse me, my cousin Christy guards the, the, her, my grandmother's recipe, potato salad recipe. And I'm telling you, it's just something that she just, it, I can't say that she would keep it from the family, but she's going to keep it from be, ever being lost. So my grandmother's potato salad can, can live on forever. Um, my grandmother, they never had much. You know, there was no, there was no inheritance from my grandparents. Um, my, dad, my dad told me the other day that his inheritance from his father was a belt. And I said, Dad, I got his suspenders. I did almost as well as you did. But, but there, they just didn't have anything. And at Christmas time, she used to make peanut brittle. I'm just figuring this out now. That was her Christmas gift to people. She made candy, in essence. And, and it was, everybody loved it. It was something that, that she did that everybody loved. Um, she made apple pies, she made pumpkin pies, and she made them every year, you know, and she, she just was this amazing cook. I, I, this is not an exaggeration. I'm so blessed because uh, somebody said they would help rectify this, but um, my grandmother, you know, she would make fried chicken, and after she made fried chicken, she would make a white chicken gravy, okay? You take 
the grease from the pan and, and the chunks, okay, that break off the chicken, the fried chunks. You, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And she would make that into a white gravy. I could drink that from a glass. My doctor said, how is your cholesterol so high? I said, it's hereditary. I got it from my grandmother. Literally, she gave it to me. I, I ate it. I drank it, you know. And, and so my, I just remember these things. I, if I'm walking through uh, the grocery store and I see ring bologna, I immediately am thinking of, of my grandfather. Who knew that, that ring bologna was a breakfast food? I, di- I, di- I just didn't, I didn't know that, okay? And when, this week as I was thinking of these things, in my mind, I'm in their kitchen in my, in my brain, okay? I'm in that kitchen. I remember that kitchen. We, as children, we got bathed in that kitchen sink when we were really small. I mean, I, you remember these things. You remember the, I, I, the Formica dining room table with the chrome trim around the outside. You know what I'm talking about? I remember those things. I would write my grandmother letters. Dear Grandma, please don't forget to bring applesauce when you come to our house. I mean, man, I had it bad. There's, it's no wonder why my jeans were husky Sears Tough Skins when I was little, you know. I, I was addicted to my grandma's food. I got really nostalgic just writing this stuff. And, and you say, well, what causes these warm fuzzies? It must be because your, your grandmother and who she was to you, but it's not limited to my grandmother. There's other people in, in, in my life that if I spend much time with them, I think of my own mom, you know, she, she, the stuffing I told you about last week, my mom's stuffing is, is to me, to this day, it's the greatest stuffing that the world has ever, has ever experienced. Um, something that my mom started to do that really has become a tradition uh, was peanut butter balls. It, it's, if, if, you've not, if you've not had them before, I'm sorry that you've never experienced that. But it is something that without peanut butter balls, it's not really a holiday gathering on my side of the family. They have to, and I'm so glad that my daughter Becca has um, picked that up, and she is now the one that's carrying the mantle from from my mom, and so so Becca is doing it, but they're grandma's peanut butter balls, right? Are you with me? They're not Becca's peanut butter balls, they're, they're grandma Bonnie's peanut butter balls, and, and so uh, we think, well, you know, people might say, Kevin, you were just blessed with, with family that can cook, so that's why you feel the way that you do. Not necessarily. And, and this week, while I was preparing my message, I ran across a verse that if my mother had a verse, uh, a life verse for cooking, it would be from Psalm 20, verse 3. It says, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. That would be my mother's life verse. I can remember as a kid, her opening the oven and flames, this is not an exaggeration, shooting out of the oven. She had left the brown, a brown paper bag. I don't, what do you do? Did she just come home from the grocery store and throw it in the oven? But a brown paper bag over, over the buns and it lit on fire and literally was on fire shooting out the oven. 
She, the, she burned every bun she ever, she ever put in the oven, you know, so I can't say it was because my mom was somehow a great cook. I, I think of my own family and something that my wife started doing, um, and we probably, I would say close to 15 years, every Friday night, we would make homemade pizza. And the, we would do the dough in the bread maker and then do, on, do it on a pizza stone. And, and it was something that my family absolutely to this day, even though we don't do it now every week, we love it. It's fantastic. And it just reminds us of when the older two were young and, and when we would watch a movie together with them on a Friday night. It just, it, there's just something about it that really speaks to me. Um, I, can't, I can't have a roast on, uh, on any day without thinking of Sundays as a kid when you had roast potatoes and carrots on Sundays. Madison, we were in Cameroon, and Madison, we were like a day away from everybody starting to depart, and Madison said, I've got to have roast corn. You remember that? <laughs> and this was urgent. I mean, it's urgent. It's not mealtime, and I've got to have roast corn. And and if you, the, 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 the city of Yaoundé is, is several million people, and there's vendors everywhere, and I saw chicken, there's chicken everywhere, and I said, Madison, I would like to try some of this chicken. He said, no, you can't do it. I cannot let you eat that. <laughs> okay, but he got a hankering for roast corn, which he's had since he was a kid. He said, I can't leave without having roast corn. I literally rolled down my window, and it's like, here's some right here. And it was everywhere. He had to have it before he left because it is such a strong connection to his childhood. We have these sort of connections. I don't know if there's going to be any left, but... but um, well, I, I, I know there's some cookies and stuff left, but, but after the service, hang around for a cup of coffee and have some cookies. There's Russian tea cakes out there. I can't see a Russian tea cake without thinking of my mother-in-law because I'd never, I never knew what a Russian tea cake was until I, I came into my wife's family and, and my mother-in-law makes these cookies. So repetition embeds these things in our minds. It's, it's not what it is, but it's how often it happens. Even if it's annually, something that we don't do at any other time of the year, but when you redo it and there's an occasion that goes with it, it cements it in our minds. Now, Vince, you're nodding at me, and that, thank you for the psychology professor stamp of approval on that, because I feel like, like this is something that, that we can prove actually happens, it embeds it in our memories. We actually memorialize things through the meals that we make, through the dishes that we make. And in fact, I think we memorialize people because we're making grandma's potato salad, okay? We're making grandma's peanut butter balls. We're doing, we are memorializing people. I've had a conversation with people about gum, and we remember the gum that our grandparents chewed when we were kids. And the smell of that gum puts us right back to our grandparent. 
there is something very strong, and it's a connection between food and memories. And I believe that we actually memorialize people through our food. Now, the Bible says to whom... Uh, it says that we should give honor to whom honor is due. And in general, our society does a really poor job at that. But without realizing it, the, a, a way that we love to honor people is in these recipes, in these things that we do at Christmas time, particularly in the holidays. And we, eat their, we love to eat those things, and we do it in their memory. Uh, and I want you to know that to honor someone's memory and, the, and, and honoring what someone has done in your life is a good thing. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 3, the first part, it says, each of you must respect your mother and father. In Colossians 3.20, Paul says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. In Exodus 20.12, uh, in, in, in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The Bible encourages us to remember, to memorialize, to honor those in our lives that, that have been uh, very important to us, but also to memorialize, to remember, to honor God for things that God has done. We read a, a story in the, um, in the book of Joshua chapter 3. And I want to take a minute here to set it up. But Israel has, they had been in bondage in Egypt. Now, we have to remember back that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he was bought by Potiphar, but then he was put into prison. And then, because he could interpret dreams, he came into Pharaoh's court and he was put as second in charge of Egypt during the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And during that time, his brothers and his father, his whole family, moved from Israel to Egypt, and they stayed there for several hundred years. But the last hundred of the, time, the years of the time that they were there, something happened. No longer was it, hey, this is the family of Joseph who helped us live through uh, the, 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 the great um, famine. Um, they, the Egyptians saw them as somebody, as people that they should really put into servitude or slavery. And so for about the last hundred years or so, they actually were slaves. And so they were crying out to God for deliverance. And God sent Moses to talk to Pharaoh. And through Moses, God told Pharaoh, let my people go. And so uh, there was a, a process of that that really happened there. Um, and it, it was something that, that was, um, that, that was uh, it was a long, drawn-out process. I want to make sure that I don't miss anything. I feel like I missed something in my notes here. But anyway, uh, the, in Joshua chapter 3, they're camping alongside the Jordan. They've been released from Egypt. They're on, they're on the edge of the river Jordan. And, and Scripture says that as soon as the priest lifted up the Ark of the Covenant and stepped into the water, that the, the waters of the Jordan, they parted. And upstream... They literally, they just piled up, the scripture says. They piled up. And downstream, they piled up. And it allowed the people of Israel to walk through on dry ground. 
Now, when we think of this, we think of, you know, it would just take a few minutes, whatever the, the, the time period to walk from here to there. Um, it was the flood stage uh, part of the year, so it, the, the, the water was, there was a lot more water than there would be in a dry time of the year. And there were two and a half million people. And some have estimated that it could have taken as much as a month for this two, these two and a half million people to cross that river. Um, even though it was dry, the water had, had stopped up above and, and below them, um, and it would have taken a long time. And what, uh, what Jos- or, excuse me, Joshua said to them was, I want, I want a member of each of the 12 families, I want you to pick up a stone from the middle of the river, and I want you to bring it to the other side, and we're going to stack them up on the other side. And so they, he has them do this, and he calls it building an altar. Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. To serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are meant to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So these stones serve as a reminder or as a memorial of God's deliverance of the people of Israel. Psalm 77 and verse 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. The apostle Paul connects remembering and traditions in 1 Corinthians 11 too. He said, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Paul instituted traditions in the church. And the church honored God by keeping those traditions, and they remembered the Apostle Paul in doing so. For you and I, the idea of food can really evoke very strong memories. It can evoke memories about people that invested in our lives and about wonderful things that we would think about from our past. And so we want to we want to give honor to those that that God has used in our lives but more importantly we want to honor God. God, thank you for the things that you have done in my life. Now, here's where we really bring the 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 application home. The scripture has several really important meals of remembrance that I want to draw your attention to. The first one is called the Passover. The Passover is a Jewish feast that has been taking place since the the children of Israel were still in Egypt. In fact, historians can tell us that it was on Friday, March 22nd, 1446 BC at 611 p.m. Because the scripture tells us that it was at twilight. And we see that, that there's a celebration that is going to take place. Because of the slavery that, that the Jews were, uh, had, had gone through, God sends Moses to Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh refuses to let them go. God sends ten plagues. 
The 10th of those plagues was this, that the oldest in each family was going to die. And it was going to happen on this particular night. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take and sacrifice a one-year-old lamb without defect. And I want you to take the blood from that lamb, and I want you to put it on the doorpost, on the side and above the door, put it all over there, and I will see that blood, and I will pass over that home. So there was the sacrifice of a lamb, and there was blood on the door, and there was a meal that was shared that night. He said, I want you to take that lamb, and I want you to roast it. And then I want you to eat bitter herbs, and I want you to have bread that has no leaven. And that's going to be a, a, a meal that I want you to, to partake of. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, in verse 14, it says, This is a day, meaning the day of Passover. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So for the last 3,500 years, the Jewish people have been remembering Passover. That's, that's a history. 3,500 years, they've been celebrating with this meal. Now, they've added other dishes to it, but the heart of it is the lamb. And there's no arguing on Passover, okay? You're not arguing between turkey and, and ham on Passover. It's lamb, okay? That's just the way it is. You, th this meal is celebrated on an annual basis, now, let's move forward from 1446 B.C. Let's move to 3380 for a moment. 3380, it's Passover. And there's a problem. The chief priests, are, are, they want a way to get rid of Jesus. And so they are literally uh, negotiating with um, Judas in order to be able to have him betray Jesus and Jesus sends Peter and John and he said I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to you're going to find a guy and this guy's going to have a room that we can use and I want you to make preparations he said I want you to get ready they've got to cook the lamb they've got to get the bitter herbs they've got to get the bread with no leaven in it you need to make these preparations. When we see the famous pictures of the Last Supper, it was Peter and John that actually prepared everything for that meal. And this was the same meal that the people of Israel had been celebrating for nearly 1,500 years, a meal that, that memorialized that God had set them free from Egypt and that the angel of death had passed over their house and it was done by the blood of the lamb. But now in Luke chapter 22, let's read Jesus' words from that very night, Passover night. Let's read the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples about what was happening. Luke 22, beginning at verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. They're eating the meal. They're sharing the meal. 
And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, I'm going to be dying. This is the last Passover that I'm going to be able to share with you because I'm going to die on the cross. They don't even understand it. They don't even want to accept it, but Jesus is making it clear to them. Then he says in verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, you, uh, I, tell you I will not drink it again, from, uh, drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You see, Passover was about a sacrificial lamb that provided the blood in order that the firstborn would not be killed. And now Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, is about ready to be crucified to provide his blood so that you and I did not have to pay for our sin with our own death. It's a meal within a meal. Think of the tradition. You and I have been celebrating communion. Christians have been celebrating communion for 2,000 years. I'm going to have those that are going to distribute the communion elements just come and they're going to pass those out. You don't need to be a member of Silver Creek Church uh, to participate. Um, I don't want you to feel conspicuous in any way. You don't have to have attended here for years and years and years. You're all welcome to attend or to uh, rather to participate with us in communion. On that night, Jesus, the Bible says, he took bread. I don't know if you can smell it. Can you smell it? It's warm bread. And I asked Kay if she would make this because Kay's mom, Jerry, has made bread for many, many years. In fact, they didn't buy bread. She just made bread as the kids were growing up. And so even, even something as simple as bread carries a profound memory. So that night as Jesus took the bread and he said, here, break it. Pass it out. They, they, they literally were having this meal together. Now what I have feels like a lot more like a meal than what you have. Okay? But they were having a meal together. Thank you, Jamie. They were having a meal together. And Jesus takes the bread and he said, this is my body. He's he's making a point to them. This represents my body, which is for you. And he said, I want you to take it and I want you to eat it so that you can remember my death until I come back. This is how you and I memorialize, honor Jesus.
for what he's done for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the, the, the picture that we receive in your word, the picture of the Passover, the picture of the lamb. And I, I thank you that Jesus is our lamb who, who bled and died and gave his body for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to go to the cross. And as we hold the bread in our hands, we say thank you, Jesus. And, and memories can come flood our minds of what Jesus went through for us. And so, Father, as we participate, as we share in this Supper, this meal of the Lord, the Last Supper, we, we simply proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, thank you for giving your body for us. Would you partake of the bread together? After supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in his blood. After service, somebody came up to me, said, you know, here's the tradition in my family. We take frozen cranberries, I think it was, and some other things, and, and they, they put it in, in, in some sort of a, a juice with carbonation in it, and, and it, it's just something that they, they do every year, and it's been passed on from, from generation to generation. That night on Passover, there's... there's um, there's four different wines that are part of the Passover celebration. And so Jesus reached out and he took one of those cups and he said, this, this, this cup represents the blood that I'm going to shed on the cross tomorrow. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. As they as they. They beat Jesus mercilessly, tearing the skin from his body with the cat of nine tails. There was an incredible loss of blood. As they drove the nails through his hands and his feet, he bled. As they put the crown of thorns upon his head, there was blood that flowed from his head. As they thrust the spear into his side, the Bible says that blood and water flowed. Jesus, you were speaking at this meal of the blood that you would shed. And today, 2,000 years later, we remember. And your word says that we would remember and that we would proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, help us to remember. Help us to honor Jesus for what he has done. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Your word says that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. We can look back to the Passover and how the blood of the lamb caused the death angel to pass over, and we can see how the blood of the lamb, Jesus, has provided us forgiveness that we would escape death. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the blood. Would you partake of the cup together?
Paul's day, they didn't have things like this. They would have actually had a meal together. And as part of the meal, they would have taken, broken the bread, shared the cup together. If it weren't for COVID, we would have all had warm bread for communion this morning. But just didn't feel like it was appropriate today. Maybe we'll get back to that place at some point. But this month is filled with a lot of traditions in our lives. But I pray that what you will do most of all is remember what Jesus has done for you. It's so great to be with you today. So great to celebrate this meal of remembrance together. I pray God's blessing on you. There's cookies, there's coffee, and I hope that you'll hang around for a few minutes in fellowship. I don't know if it started snowing yet or not, but that's going to come no matter what. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day.